My Car Guru, episode 171. Hello, everyone. This is Lenny Lawson, the Car Guru, and I am so glad to be here. Um, I am hurting, though. I don't know what happened to me. I think it was just carrying a lot of boxes. I think I mentioned that I have been, uh, my mom passed away in December, and the family mostly, translate that to mostly me and my wife, have been uh, trying to empty her house, which we sold to my daughter, which I'm very happy about that, but uh, just trying to get everything out of it. And, you know, that's a, a lifetime of stuff. You know, I don't know if you ever watch this show, Hoarders. Well, that's not my parents. They weren't hoarders, but they did keep a lot of stuff. They kept a lot of, and just pretty much anything that had anything to do with their kids or grandkids or parents, cousins, uncles, pictures. My goodness, it is unbelievable. And somehow I've got to set up a projector somewhere, probably in either my upstairs room or down in my basement. And uh, I've got the projector. I've got the, the uh, like an eight millimeter and super eight projector which is still pristine. My dad took good care of stuff. And then his slide projector and hundreds and, well, thousands of slides. And I don't know how many feet of film. And I know that I'll never get through all of it. Matter of fact, I'm running into a wall right now. You ever just get to the point where, you know, I've been doing this for a couple months now, uh, just really diving in and going through every drawer and stuff, and I am just tired you know, and it's emotional too. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've just found something. I found a letter from my dad um, to my mom. My goodness, I sobbed for 15 minutes. And you know, there's something therapeutic about that. I was talking to my wife the other day, and I said, you know, I I really didn't know my parents. I mean, I knew them as mom and dad. And I knew them as, um, you know, very supportive parents. Um, but as individuals, I've learned so much about them uh, just going through all these letters and pictures and, and th- mostly letters. You know, I'm, I, I encourage anybody to, instead of doing the digital thing, keep writing, writing a journal. You know, you probably have a lot to say that your family would love to hear about. Uh, I found so many pictures I would just love to know, okay, What's the story here? I wish I could know, you know, because it's just, uh, uh, and, and also, I mean, I've got pictures back to, the oldest picture I have is from um, 1897, and it's my great, great, great grandfather. And his name was Judson Carey Woodson, and he actually fought in the Civil War. Now, at the time of this picture, he's pretty old. Right then, I mean that was what thirty years after the Civil War, and which he fought in as a Confederate. So, uh, you know this this stuff is uh, just something that I'm grateful for. But right now, I'm just going to have to take a break. I'm, I'm going to have to set it aside for a, a little while so I can uh, get my bearings. Uh, sometimes my wife says, "Well, are you looking too much in the past?" Maybe so. Uh, you know, sometimes I don't know about you, but I find comfort in the past. Uh, I find uh, worry and frustration about the present and the future and, for example, things that are going on in this country. But we won't get into that. We're going to talk about some things that you need to be aware of as far as your car life. 
And that's what I like to call it because um, everybody has a life and it doesn't always revolve around the car. But if you take the car out of it and if it's not working right or if it's not the right kind of car for what you're doing right now, what your life looks like, then your car life is not good and it might be time for a change. So it is very disruptive when things don't work. had a customer the other day whose uh, vehicle was stolen, and it was a pretty cool vehicle. It was an Acura NSX, which was a supercar that was built by Honda and built actually up in Ohio, and it is a uh, very sophisticated sports car. And this particular one was, uh, I think, a 90, let's see, yeah, 93 model. And it was stolen out of his garage, but it was recovered, thank goodness. And so the towing company uh, that picked it up took it to their own storage facility. And they won't let it go. They're in a big dispute with the insurance company over the storage fees. And because it's an Acura NSX, uh, they're wanting to, you know, commit highway robbery on the insurance company. Well, the insurance company is not going to pay that. So I don't know how this is going to end up. But one thing I do want you to think about is if you do wreck your vehicle, you need to know who's picking your vehicle up. Now, most police departments and uh, sheriff's departments have uh, different record companies that are on call, and they use a rotation. And they're supposed to meet certain standards, I'm sure, in order to be able to be on that list. Um, if somebody's going to pick up my car, now, granted, if you're not in any shape, if you've been in a car wreck and you're sitting in the back of an ambulance, then you don't really care where your car goes. But if, if it's a fender bender and your car's not drivable, you need to know where your car is going, and you need to tell them where you want it to go. Hopefully, uh, you have a relationship with a car dealership that has a body shop, and you can just say, take it to Billy Bob Chevrolet, um, and they'll drop it off there. Now, most new car dealers do not charge storage. But if the record company does not know where to take it, guess where they're going to take it? That's right. To their business location, has a fence around it. And because it has a fence around it, they can charge you storage or charge your insurance company storage. Now, um, you know, you've got insurance, right? And your insurance company should pay for the storage. But I've seen some record companies play hardball, like with this Acura, and so the whole process gets delayed to getting your car fixed. You don't want to run around without a car or in a rental car for longer than you have to. And uh, you certainly don't want to the, the cause of that or cause of a delay to be uh, because a record company won't release your car. So, you know, make sure that whoever is going to tow your car, make sure that the, the are, they are approved by the, your insurance company. Um, if at all possible, try to get your insurance company to handle it, you know, the adjusters or whatever. Because typically your agent doesn't handle that kind of stuff. I mean, if you have State Farm Insurance, for example, or Farm Bureau, uh, your accident, it's out of their hands. They're going to have you call the adjusting people because they're not into that. They have di divided their responsibilities. Also, make sure, like I said, that they're towing it to the body shop that you intend to have repair your vehicle. Now, you may not have a particular body shop in mind, most people do not. But I'd recommend that you do, just in case. Like, okay, who would you take your car to, to today if you had a fender bender or an accident? Um, you know, go ahead and do your research now and, and put that number and, and name in your glove box, maybe in the front of your owner's manual, and you'll know where to go. You'll know where to tell somebody 
to take the car to. Well, it's kind of hard to just wait till after you've had a wreck, and then you're all stressed out, and uh, you know you're not not making really real good decisions anyway. And and uh, somebody else ends up making the decision, and it's not a good one. So you don't want to do that. Also, do they charge for storage, and how much? If they're going to take your vehicle somewhere, um, you you want to know what they're going to charge because there may be a problem with your insurance, and they may say you know, we're not going to cover this. Uh, your insurance lapsed or, you know, there could be a number of reasons, I guess, why an insurance company isn't going to take care of something. But uh, if they do, in fact, do that, guess who's on hook for the storage charges and the towing bill? You are. So that's that's all I want to say about that. Uh, you may have noticed in the news about a uh, new law that was passed. I don't know if it's been totally passed yet or not. Maybe it has. Uh, it's the uh, inflation reduction something or other. Yeah, it was. It's been going on for a long time. It's only like four hundred billion dollars or something like that that they're spending. Part of it was for EV tax credits, electric vehicle tax credits. You know, for the longest time, if you bought a hybrid vehicle, you could get about a thirty-five hundred dollar tax credit from the government. Uh, if you bought an electric vehicle, that's pure battery electric, no motor. Remember that a hybrid has an, has a gas engine on it and an electric motor. It's just a really small uh, battery and a small electric motor, and, and it won't drive your car for very far. A full electric vehicle, though, is just that. There is no internal combustion engine. It is simply a battery and an electric motor, one or two. So if you bought one of those, you got a $7,500 tax credit. So a lot of people did. You know, It helped people afford Teslas and some of the other vehicles out there. But then um, they, they had built into the original law that that would expire after the manufacturer sold 250000 or so of, the, of their electric vehicles. Then no more EV tax credits. Well, they just passed the law saying that, or getting ready to, like I said, if, uh, if you buy an electric vehicle, you will get the tax credit, whether it's a Tesla, whether they've sold 250000 or $250 million of them. Here's the catch, though. It has to be uh, built basically in, in the United States. It, uh, it has to basically have at least, I think it is, uh, at least 51% domestic content. What does that mean? Well, that means that 49% of it can come from offshore, like batteries and all the electronics. Here's the problem with that. There are no EVs that currently qualify for this. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I mean, that's just how our government works. They pass something that's supposed to benefit everybody, and then it doesn't. Now, who knows? Maybe this will spur more domestic production, and they'll tip the scales a little bit. But so much of of what we uh, consume comes from other countries, and especially China, that uh, it's kind of hard to get it all, I guess, transferred to the United States. They're having the biggest challenge with this uh, with the chips you know getting microprocessors oh, I hate talking about them but that's just something I have to do but they are uh, there's I can't remember how many billions they allocated to get more uh, microprocessors built in this country but you know that's not something you build overnight you don't just wake up and say hey let's build us a microprocessor plant um, you can say that but it's about a three-year process and uh, so I don't know I wish they'd build one around here of course, I don't know where they'd find anybody to work at it. Uh, 
Okay, I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back here in just a second. Okay, I am back. Well, about my wife, another electric bicycle. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm in the EV. I'm not really into electric vehicles that much, although I sell them. Um, I am into electric bicycles, though. And I bought her a, about two years ago, I bought her a Trek a Verve 3 Plus. Yeah, I guess all that means something, but anyway. Um, she just loved it, and we were able to ride together. You know, we'll go out and ride 20, 25 miles, and it's no big deal. But it was a big deal when she fell off of her bicycle uh, the other day when we were in Greenville, South Carolina. Got her foot caught when she was trying to lift it over the bar. In reality, it's a boy's bike, and so it has that bar. And so anyway, I said, I'm selling this bike, and she she didn't put up a fuss. I had to turn around and buy another one, and it's a girl's bike, so you don't have to lift your leg up near as far. So that's a good thing, but I we enjoy the heck out of that. And now I've just got to sell her old one and not lose too much. So if anybody's interested, 423-552-2020. Well, I guess that's kind of like an infomercial, isn't it, for electric uh, bicycles. Anyway, I do want to talk about the all-new Mustang that's coming out. It's the seventh generation. You know, you, you look back and look at all the different brands that are out there. Some of the longest-lasting brands, or I, I guess vehicle models, not necessarily brands, would be a lot of the sports cars. You know, like Mustang. I mean, it's been around since, what, 1964 and a half? I think that's what they called the first one. Um, but the Camaro, you know, it's it's come and gone a couple times. It's here, but it's getting ready to go away, from what I understand. Uh, the Dodge Challenger, you know, it's uh, some of those names last a lot longer than some of the other, other Ford products have lasted. You know, you look at the, the list... I just started writing down a list of some of the names of the Fords that have gone bye-bye. I counted 23, um, everything from the LTD to the Granada. Remember the Fairmont? Of course, the Thunderbird. Uh, the Taurus, you know, it was at one time, that was the best-selling car in the country, was the Ford Taurus. Yes, it even outsold the Toyota Camry and the Honda Accord, but they ruined it. Um, then, like the Ford Fusion, Focus, Fiesta. Remember the Ford Contour? It was a jewel. Uh, Crown Victoria. I always love that name. Those are the ones that, that have state trooper labels on the side of them. Uh, Ford Festiva, Ford Freestar. Uh, Freestyle, Probe. Didn't like that name. Tempo, Pinto, Torino, Aspire, C-Max. Well, there have been a bunch, and now there's just one. That's right. The Ford Mustang is the only passenger car that we sell as a Ford dealer. And, uh, you know, it, like I say, it started back in 1964. Uh, they announced it at the New York World's Fair, which my dad took us to when I was, well, how old was I? Eight, I think. And um, so the seventh generation is coming. The first generation went from 1964 to 1973, although... You know, the 64 through and 60 up through 66 looked pretty much the same. And then they they stretched it out a little bit in uh, 67. And then 69, I was surprised they considered that the same generation of the, as the first one. But they do. And then the 71 through 73 got really big, really long hoods, still the same basic chassis. So that's probably why they call it the same generation. The second generation was from 74 to 78. That's when... The Mustang got really small. 
and it was because gas prices got really high, and um, you know the, it was actually about the size of a pinto. And then the third generation was from seventy nine to ninety three. That was fourteen years of basically the same design. It was built on a chassis originally used by the Ford Fairmont, which was my honeymoon vehicle. My wife and I flew to San Francisco on our honeymoon and rented a car from National Car Rental, and it was a Ford Fairmont, two-door. And we drove that car from from San Francisco down through Big Sur and um, went through Monterey and all that stuff and, and all the way down to Los Angeles, and it was a great trip. But we were actually in a future Mustang because they used the Fairmont chassis for the Mustang for all of those years. And then they came out with the fourth generation, which was from 94 to 2004. That's a 10-year run. Fifth generation, which is when I became a Ford dealer in 2005. It's hard to believe it's been that long. Anyway, 2005 to, to 2014, so that was a pretty long run. Then the sixth generation, 2015 till now which is the current car that we have. So this new one is uh, a completely different chassis. It's going to look like a Mustang. They are not going to mess with that. You'll still be able to tell. It has little squinnier headlights. Uh, Powertrains are going to be pretty much the same. They're talking about in about two years coming out with a hybrid Mustang. And uh, in the meantime, they're going to have the the four-cylinder, the 2.3-liter Four-cylinder engine will be the base engine, and then the big honking Coyote V8s. I don't know what they're going to do with the Shelby program. I hope they extend it. That's been a really, a really good thing for the brand, and I think it's uh, we've sold them very well, and they have very high resale value. Of course, what doesn't have high resale value right now? And and I'll tell you another thing, another vehicle line that has uh, really lost popularity, uh, and that's minivans. Every time I say minivan around a group of younger women, uh, like married women at a, you know, I don't know, some type of church event or something like that, they say, ooh, minivans. It's almost like, you know, it's a dirty word or something. Everybody wants to drive SUVs now. But, you know, a minivan is probably the most practical vehicle a human being can own because of all the stuff you can do. But, see, I'm, I'm older. I'm a geezer. You know, I'm, I think about room, storage, comfort, smoothness. Of course, I do like my sports cars and my Broncos, though, so maybe I'm not completely over the hill. Do you remember conversion vans? Remember those uh, vans with all the stripes and painted stripes and raised roofs and stuff? They were all in full-size chassis. When I was a Chevy dealer, we used to sell the heck out of those things. Uh, That pretty much started around 1977, 78. That's when my dad, I remember, first got a conversion van from a company called Contempo. But the first conversion van we ever got was uh, my dad flew my brother and and myself down to uh, my brother and myself. My brother and me flew us to Dallas, Texas, and I had big hair. This was around 1974, and he he had uh, ordered this uh, van. And back then, they were hippie vans. They had murals painted on the side. And this thing had a sunroof in it. It was just like a big scoop, a bubble, and around the inside of it was white fur, like mink. And uh, it had a bed in the back, and it had fur all over it, and the carpet had probably a five-inch pad underneath it. I wonder what they used that, those things for. But anyway, it had side exhaust, and, and um, it was very loud, 
and it was a short wheelbase, and my brother and I had the best time driving that thing back from Dallas-Fort Worth area to Greenville, Tennessee. We thought we were it. But anyway, the minivans are, are extremely practical. You know, the really the only ones that are out there right now are uh, Toyota Sienna, still makes a really good minivan, Honda Odyssey, my favorite, and then the Chrysler Pacifica, which is really good. And, of course, Chrysler made them famous. They didn't invent them. We'll talk about that here in just a second. I like minivans. I remember I bought my wife an Astro. Well, I didn't buy it. I was a dealer, so I gave her gave it to her to drive. And for the kids, it was a Chevy Astro van, um, just a big box. And we traveled a lot in them and stuff. They were great. Um, but they weren't near as good as the, the Voyagers and the Caravans and you know what the offerings from the Chrysler Corporation. Lee Iacocca did a good job on that one. Um, but they weren't the first. You know, the VW bus, the Fiat Multipla, the Chevy Greenbrier, you know, those were some of the early, uh, as far as minivans from the 50s and, and 60s. Uh, but it's such a great concept until you ruin it. You know, like Chevy with the uh, Lumina APV. You remember that jewel? It looked like a dust buster. Uh, my, I told my wife, I said, honey, you know what we ought to do? As big as that dash is, we ought to plant tomatoes on it. She thought that was funny. Uh, they didn't sell very good, and then Chevy tried to make a change, and they called it the Venture. Well, it didn't go on any, many ventures because it was, uh, it was unsuccessful. So they took the Venture, put a rounded nose on it, and called it an Uplander. You think that helped? Nope. Uh, Ford started with the Aerostar. Well, they had they had a minivan kind of like the Chevrolet did back in the late '60s or late '50s, early '60s. But uh, their jewel to compete with the uh, the Chevy Astro was called the Aerostar. And then they had they they had a thing for stars. That the next one was Freestar, and then that didn't sell good, so they said let's call it the Windstar. So they they changed the name to Windstar. It didn't sell either. And then uh, they tried to come out with something else called the Flex. Now, I like the Ford Flex, but you can still buy them out there on the used car lot. I think Windstars and Freestars, I think all the transmissions fell out of them. But now we, st we still have a minivan, though, as a Ford dealer. It's called the Transit Connect. Goodness, where do they come up with these names? Um, you know, it's like Chrysler Corporation changing their name to Stellantis. I mean, it's like this focus group material. Uh, how does this happen? Anyway, I, there's nothing we can do about it. We just have to. I just hope they never change the name of the Ford Motor Company. If they do, I'll just retire. Well, I'm going to retire until for about 24 hours, and I will see you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru.